What's up, guys? Welcome to this Industry Insider interview here on the 520 Collective Podcast. We are being sponsored, as always, by the bookkeeper 24-7. Check them out at tbk247.com. Go support Daryl and the team at tbk247.com now. And guys, joining me on the 520 Collective phone line, she is from Office Hours with Nora and Stowe. Awesome channel on YouTube. Make sure you check them out. Follow them because they have fantastic insight, fantastic gems that you're going to want to follow as you grow in your musical journey. But joining me right now is Nora Rahimian. What is good? <laughs> Hi, it's good to be here. Awesome. I'm, I'm excited. You know, we had Stowe on um, towards the end of season three, actually. And, you know, just getting to know him and see what he does for indie artists. You know, obviously it led me to you as well because you partner up with him. How did, I guess I just want to ask first, how did you and Stowe kind of get connected? Oh my God, I love this story. So, uh, seven or eight years ago, I'm going to give you the whole long story because I think it's important. And I think, and I'll tell you why. Because as artists, like networking and relationship building is probably one of the most important things that we do right and sometimes that process isn't linear so someone you meet here like one thing leads to an so I think Stowe and I are a perfect example of that so seven or eight years ago I met a woman on Twitter during an ideas chat she was talking about global hip-hop I was like what me too global hip-hop and social activism We literally, it was like four tweets. I slid in her DMs, realized that we were both like super aligned and that's how we started Culture Fix. So Culture Fix is my company. It's a global network of artists and activists and entrepreneurs who do social impact work. Through Culture Fix, I got plugged into Mikkel and Artistic Manifesto, which uh, isn't around anymore, but back in the day was one of probably the best blogs around like new music and like stuff for the culture. Through Mikkel and Artistic Manifesto, I met someone who then introduced me to Stowe on Twitter. So Stowe and I met on Twitter super randomly through like four degrees of separation. Um, And so we just kind of became Twitter friends. And then we met up at A3C a few years ago. And that was the year I, I think I was really disillusioned by these conferences that had a bunch of like paid panels right like companies were paying so they were like really long advertisements and people there was one panel in particular where the guy was like why do i have to tell y'all how i got here i struggled and like didn't want to share information and it just really frustrated me because here were a bunch of independent early career artists who had paid good money to come learn information and people were either being super stingy about that information or they were being kind of out of touch right like oh we'll just go to the headquarters of youtube and tell what like what artists can do that so at the time i was you know doing my like creative consulting thing stowe was dropping gems and we'd had we had like a good kind of vibe going and so i reached out to stowe and i was like look we need to do something that's practical accessible tangible advice for artists like nah i'm cool (laughs) he was not and so basically i peer pressured him um and that so now it's been like two years our youtube channel uh turned two in april yeah it was like a wild series of events and now i can't imagine us not doing this together yeah yeah so uh, you talked about um you were doing consulting uh but you do so much more than just consulting 
uh, it seems like, at least from where I sit. Like, what, what do you tell people that it is that you do when it comes to working with artists and just, you know, sharing this information that you have? You know, my, I think my purpose in life is to help artists achieve the kind of success that they want. Partly because I think arts is how we change the world. Arts and culture evoke the emotional response that get people to think and feel differently about the things that matter. So really, really, I'm trying to overthrow white supremacy, patriarchy, and capitalism. And I think art is the way to do it. Um, tangibly, practically, what that looks like is I do office hours with Stowe. Um, I run Culture Fix. We connect artists around the world to one another and do a bunch of information sharing and um, edu kind of making education accessible around arts and social justice. I produce a hip hop festival called Den Music Fest. Um, and the vision there is to amplify independent early career artists, regardless of social media numbers. We don't look at how many streams you have. We don't look at how many uh, social media followers you have, but really it's about creating a space where good people who are making good music can get uh, a viable platform. Um, and we connect artists to one another there. Um, and then I do a bunch of coaching and consulting. So working one-on-one -on -one with creatives of all kinds. Like I work with authors, I work with fundraisers, I work with a bunch of musicians uh, to help them figure out success on their own terms without giving up financial freedom or creative control. Awesome. I think that's it. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. But uh, you're, do, you're doing good work. That's for sure. Um, man, I'm always interested to know, like, how did you get into just hip hop in, in general? Like, I mean, because, you know, everyone's story is a little bit different and, and I love them. You know, it's unique. I think that hip hop is like one genre of music that just connects to the people that listen to it in just a different way than other genres. It's such a good question. You know, I, so we, so I came to the U.S. as an immigrant and as a refugee. Um, and I think hip hop was one of the very few places that I saw myself represented in. Maybe not like, like I didn't see any Middle Eastern women, but the kind of the, the struggle and the storytelling resonated with me. It was also where I, like, I remember listening to, listening to Bone Thugs and Harmony. And I was like, oh, I speak English now. Like understanding Busy Bone was how I knew that I had like reached some level of cultural fluency when we first came. So I think that was, it was that kind of relatability and storytelling where I was like, oh, there's a, what I'm feeling and what I'm experiencing, someone else is doing that too. And I think that was my, that, and I had a crush on Criss Cross. <laughs> nice. <laughs> that's awesome see that and that's what i'm saying like everyone's story is, is something like my mine is like the dumbest story ever and i you probably don't need to hear it but i'll just say it involves mc hammer so i'll just leave it at that oh. <laughs> okay well, you, know, <laughs> you know so um you talked about your festival what was the, the, the name of that festival again it's dead music fest dead music. And, and that you, you're doing that online am i correct in that so we were real life for a long time. You're we out of the music room in Atlanta. Um, and then when the pandemic hit, like so many folks, we had to make adjustments. Um, and, you know, Atlanta's been hit really hard in terms of venue accessibility and things like that. The place that we used to partner with, they're no longer around. And so, but then also there was this idea around, I could do a festival once a year, but we could do virtual shows ongoing 
um, and more artists and it just there's an accessibility factor that I really like. There's also a creativity factor, kind of the visual aspect of storytelling um, that artists can do in virtual performances. So uh, we're virtual and there's a bunch of performances up on the YouTube that folks can check out as well. How, how do artists uh, get plugged into that if they're interested? So go to our website, deadmusicfest.com. We accept rolling submissions all the time. Um, so definite, and maybe, oh, Eric, can we talk about this? Yeah. Like how to, you know, cause I, I think we're an accessible festival. Um, we never charge for submissions. We never charge to play. We try to make it really easy for artists to submit and apply because we want to put you on the stage. But I think because this is a lot of, this is the first application for a lot of people, can we just talk about how to apply to a festival? I would love it. I would love to do, because like, I feel like there's a lot of artists who even struggle with just submitting to, you know, a website like 520, let alone submitting an event like what you're talking about. So yeah, let's talk about it. So I think the most important thing is all artists should have some kind of one minute performance video. This is, it's the one thing we ask for is, where can we see a performance of you? And I can't tell you how many times I get sent to just an Instagram, like not even a specific Instagram video, which is fine, but to an Instagram page. So now I have to scroll through and find your videos. No curator is gonna do that. Or I get sent like to some behind the scenes thing that's set to someone else's music. I don't want to hear Jay-Z when I'm trying to get a sense of who you are as an artist and who what your performance is like. So those are probably the two biggest mistakes. And I think it's really worth investing as an artist in, it doesn't have to be long, it doesn't have to be super curated, but what most festival producers are looking for, especially at this stage, right? when you're not as known or you don't have the kind of backing already is I want to see how you engage with the audience. I want to see how you come on and get a show started. I want to see you perform. I want to hear you sing. I want to see how you move around the stage. I want to see what connection you're making with your audience. And then I want to see how the audience is reacting to that. If they're vibing, you know, if their hands are in the air, if they're moving around or are they all just sitting and chit-chatting, that tells me a lot about the kind of artist that you are. And especially now as there's more virtual shows happening, you can get really creative about how you curate that. But I think I think that's a, just, it's a really good thing to invest in. And it can be as simple as you ask a friend, hey, can you record me when I perform? Or you just set up in your kitchen or your bedroom and just having something that's a little thoughtful, that's really, really, really important. And then the other thing I would say is, please check your emails. Because, like, I know and I get it. Like, it, it'll take me three months sometimes to respond to an email that takes 10 seconds. But there are missed opportunities, y'all, in your inbox. And so if you're going to submit to a festival, you should probably check for those responses as well. Um, but that's just, yeah, I think that's, we want people to succeed. But just simple things like, please follow instructions. Please hyperlink your links. The more you make it easy for someone to learn about you, the more your chances of getting booked and getting, whether it's a performance or an interview or whatever, it really does make a difference. Oh, it makes a, it makes a huge difference. I mean, I know for us, like, you know, if artwork isn't right, you know, if sometimes you get these weird sizes and, and stuff on our submissions and it's like, man, you got to do these simple things because we do have 
a lot of these submissions coming in, right? And, and if I have to spend a lot of extra time on yours, when I could knock out two or three others at the in that same time, you know, it's so much. Yeah, you know, it, it makes it a little easier to move on and go to the next one, right? So, I'd love to hear any advice you may have as far as you know being able to perform in a virtual setting. You know, not necessarily. I, like how to do it but just like what you're looking for or what advice you give to the artist uh, to make that virtual concert feel a little bit more intimate like we're used to in the live setting because i know that's something that a lot of artists have kind of struggled with you know i i hear guys talk about man i'm thinking about doing this but i honestly have no idea where to start what's your advice there so i think what a lot of artists do is they copy and paste their real life performance and just put it behind the camera. And one, most artists aren't great performers. I hate to say this, but a lot of you really need to practice performance and we can talk about that as well. But thinking about virtually, you have tons of things that you can do and add to um, where you can add new elements. So one of the things you can get visually creative. I'm thinking about like Spooks McGee who performed at our last festival and Spooks did a whole like kaleidoscope. There's like four Spooks on the screen, you know, like you can, you don't have, you can think outside of the traditional idea of what a performance is. Um, so I think that's really important is allow yourself. And maybe this is where you can collaborate with a visual artist and think about how do we how do we tell the story of what I'm trying to perform visually. So it's not quite music video, but it's not quite standard performance either. I think there's like virtual performance or some hybrid. The other thing that's really important is artists tend to rush a virtual performance and don't be afraid to take the time and slow it down and still do your call and response, still do some like warm up, still introduce yourself like still take that time to set the tone, set the stage. Um, and then if it's a live virtual performance, it allows for an, an aspect of audience interaction that you wouldn't have otherwise. So one of the things about Den, for example, is, you know, it's a virtual show, but our artists are there during the show, they're in the chat. And so now you have the chat space as a second canvas to tell your audience hey, here's a, here's a funny story while we were recording this, or you can answer questions in real time, or you can, so it adds another level of engagement. So, you know, you it really is, I think, about thinking outside of the box, and it doesn't hurt to do some research and look at other virtual performances that have been done, done well. The, the last thing I would say is it doesn't have to be hyper curated. Like, it doesn't have to be perfect. We're all like, we all know what it's like to live through a pandemic now, uh, a pandemic that is still pandemicing, And so I think the perfection or the hyper curation, people are burnt out on it. Like who has time to be perfect when we're surviving capitalism and like fighting for our rights and like all this kind of stuff. And so letting fans see some of the imperfection or see some of the like, um, not that you're like sloppy or messy, but just kind of the, like the real you, right? As if I was like hanging out at home with you. There's an intimacy to that that translates really, really well. Yeah, yeah. I think it's that uh, that connection is maybe the most important thing there is, right? And, um, you know, I would love for our show and the, and the lives that we do, you know, to, to be like, I don't know, like Joe Rogan or something. But that's just not where we're at. But I can be who I am, you know? So... 
Um, I love it. I love it. And I think that goes into my next question. And, and that would be, you know, for independent artists, a lot of them are trying to find their audience and, and to connect with the people that are going to support what they're doing. And that's not an easy thing. Or maybe it's easier than we think. I don't know. Uh, that, that's where I'm going to hear what you, your thoughts are on this. But um, the one thing I do know is that if you're an artist who is simply uploading your music to DistroKid and letting it go to Spotify, and that's kind of it. Maybe you throw a tweet out on the release day. Yeah, you're, you're not connecting with, with the audience. And, and I know there's some tools and that, and that you're going to hit on. But like, what would be your advice, just like your first little piece, to point them in the right direction of, hey, if you want to connect with the people who's going to support you, this is where you start. You have to be vulnerable. You have to put yourself out there. If all I see, and not, not you, the music. Like, I know artists hate it when I say this. The music is probably the most important thing in building a fan base. People support you because they like you, because they connect with you, right? Like, and we see brands, why do you think brands have mascots? Because mascots are humanizing, brands are not, right? So, you know, and not to say like turn yourself into a mascot, but there has to be a human accessibility factor. And so a lot of you, like my, I don't understand why artists do this, this whole like mysterious post thing. I don't have time, energy or attention span to like solve your mystery, especially if I'm not already invested in you. Mystery works when you're like 15 years into your career, right? Then you can be like MF Doom. But until then, you have to give people something to connect to before. Or you know who's a good example is Beyonce. Beyonce can be mysterious now. Beyonce can be mysterious now because Beyonce 15 years ago was showing up in every single interview and like being kind of imperfect, Right. But she couldn't have done that back then when Destiny's Child was first like coming up. She needed to put herself out there and like show us her personality. So um, this whole like mystery thing is working against you. Um, and I know I know that there's a vulnerability and it's scary to put yourself out there. Or you maybe you don't know how. And we have Office Hours episodes about all of this. So I really do encourage people to go check out the YouTube channel. Um, but showing the imperfections, showing the process, showing the parts where you mess up or you're frustrated or you're struggling, all of that is so relatable. It's so connectable. And then when I've seen you when you're down, I'm going to be so hyped and excited for you when you're up. Because I remember when your engineer lost the stems, or I remember when you lost your voice and you couldn't perform, or I remember when, you know, you were heartbroken and couldn't work for three days. Like all of that is so humanizing. It's so relatable. And it's going to make me care about your success so that then I trust you. I feel connected with you so that I press play and listen to the song. A lot of artists, I think, make asks, but they don't earn the right to make that ask. And so that's a huge, huge piece of it is you have to give before you can take anything from your audience and listen to my song, watch my video, buy my merch, come to my show. Those are all asks that you're making and people aren't going to do it if they if they don't feel like you've given them enough in exchange. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned the YouTube channel. Uh, in there, I want to make sure that we give a chance to, to plug that. So uh, where do people tap in uh, with what you got going on? 
Yeah, go to YouTube, uh, Office Hours with Nora and Stowe. There's like almost 50 episodes, I think now. Um, I know you also mentioned audience stuff and maybe we can talk about niche later, but there's a really good episode about finding your niche because when I ask artists, who's your, you know, who's your audience? And they say, everybody, you can't, I, I, you will eventually, but at this stage, you. so we can talk about that. Um, and then I'm super accessible on all the socials at Nora Rahimian uh, on Instagram and Twitter. And my DMs are always open. I'm always happy to answer questions or if folks want to set up a, a one-on-one session. This is really like music is all about relationships. So take advantage of those resources and reach out to people when they invite you to. Yeah, definitely. And guys, again, on the 520 Collective phone line is Nora Rahimian. You know, I was in one of the Twitter spaces that you guys were hosting not too long ago. And one thing that you talked about that I was like, okay, if we can get her on the podcast, I want to talk about this because we haven't done so yet. But I feel like it's so important uh, is is this idea of establishing and getting a newsletter together, right? And, and getting uh, an email list. Um, you know, I think some artists, and, and I hate just putting it on artists. I would say even some of just someone like myself, you know, that um, is doing just some behind the scenes work, right? Like we've kind of bought into maybe some falsehoods a little bit on some of those things where like, Oh, well, you know, it's 2022 and, and we don't need a newsletter because I've got uh TikTok or whatever, you know, I guess just why is something like a newsletter so important in your eyes and why should it be important for independent artists? So excited to talk. I feel like there should be like balloons and horns and like newsletters. Um, <laughs> so one newsletter you own those email addresses and yes as much as like emails and stuff might change it's a direct relationship that you can have with your customer your audience your supporters you don't own tiktok you don't own instagram you don't own twitter you don't own facebook you don't own any of those other platforms and so if and we've seen this right like if instagram crashes do you have a way to contact your audience or if Elon Musk buys Twitter and decides to ban words like music, hip hop, and link, are you going to have a way to, right? Like these are real things that are happening in our current, like, eco, right? In our current ecosystem. And so newsletter is a direct, reliable, stable way that you can communicate with people, regardless of what happens on these platforms. I'm not saying don't be on these platforms, but it is a way to, they should, they should speak to one another, right? They act in conjunction with one another. And I, I know I hear from so many of, so many artists who are burnt out on social media. They hate posting. They don't want to. So newsletter allows you to kind of bypass some of those things where you have a much more controlled environment where you can really tell the story without having to be in the kind of grind of, I got to post every day. It's three o'clock. I didn't get my, you know, cause that's not good for our mental health. So really that's the most basic reason is you own the content and then it lets you be in front of people who everyone who is on your email list will see your email, which is not true with other platforms. The algorithm, you know, the algorithm hides you from other places, but that's not true on other platforms. When it comes to, to, to a newsletter, I think if, if that's not something you're used to as an artist, if you're just focused on, I want to make music, but all these other aspects are part of it, but I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. Like, what, what do you say to those guys? Right. Cause I mean, I know like for, 
for us. You know, we do have a newsletter and I'm, it's not perfect, you know, but I figured out that it's important just to be doing it, you know, that it helps and we get a little bit better as we go. What's your advice on just getting that started and what that kind of looks like? Um, so the, I mean, really the most important thing is to just start when I first, and I, again, I get it. It could be really scary to email a bunch of people and like put yourself out there. And in some ways I think there's like a, people think that there's a, a weightedness or a permanence to newsletters. Like I could send out a tweet and it disappears. So it's low pressure, but a newsletter feels bigger. Um, just, just start. When I first started sending newsletters, I was sending Gmail blasts to people, like on my Gmail and just BCCing people. But something is better than nothing. And people see that. And even if they don't read it, even if they don't engage with it, my name is still present and forward in their mind. So there's a familiarity that builds that way. Um, I still don't have a landing page that's like formal. Stowe yells at me all the time because I don't have a website, but that's, I don't actually, I don't actually think everyone needs a website, but that's a different conversation. Um, but like I have a Google form where I, I collect email addresses and then I manually transfer that from Google forms to my MailChimp because that's easy for me. And thinking about a landing page stresses me out. So allow yourself, I think sometimes we get stuck in having to do like the perfect thing. I have to have the, just allow you, and this is true for newsletters, but it's true for so much else in like creative industries. Allow yourself to do the most simple thing. Just take that first step. And your first newsletter doesn't have to be, just be like, hey, I just wanted to say hi to y'all. Hi. I'm Eric and I run this podcast and this is why I started it. Like it doesn't have to be fancy or again, doesn't have to be fancy. doesn't have to be overly curated, but if you don't ever put yourself out there and you don't ever extend that hand, your audience is never going to be able to grasp it and connect with you. So start my biggest advice is like, just start where you can and take that next step. And then you can, gradually gradually build up the other thing is y'all it doesn't matter how many subscribers you have if you only have two email addresses send those two people personalized emails right and then you can ask them to forward it you can then share it on your socials and be like my newsletter went out make sure you don't miss it you know and there's ways to grow but i think a lot of times i hear artists who are like oh i don't have that many subscribers that shouldn't be that shouldn't be a reason why you don't reach out and connect. Yeah. And I love that you said that because um, that is an excuse that I hear on a lot of, for a lot of different things, right? Like I've talked to people about, man, why aren't you on Bandcamp? Well, I don't think I've got a big enough audience to use Bandcamp. Do you have one person that'll buy your music? If so, have it on Bandcamp. <laughs> I mean, it's that simple. But when we're talking about. <laughs> wait, wait. Sorry. Yeah. No, sorry. you're fine. I didn't mean to cut you off. But also, one of the perks of Bandcamp over like other platforms is because Bandcamp gives you email addresses. So then now you know, right? You know that they care enough about you to go to Bandcamp, to listen to your music, to buy something. They've given you their email address. They wanna keep hearing from you. They want to have that connection. And so I think the other thing I hear is how often artists are like, well, I don't know where to get emails. I'll give you a whole list right now. One, anyone who's ever bought something from you, you have their email address, you can email them. Two, ask people. Like we underestimate how, e 
throw out something like right now, go to your Instagram stories and be like, I'm going to start my newsletter. Please respond to this story with your email address and see how many email addresses you get. So asking people and then three is connecting with other people that you work with and being like, yo, can you feature me in your newsletter? So that people, so that cross pollination, that kind of connection, that's already three ways where you can start collecting email addresses that you didn't have before. And even if people don't give you their email address, the simple act of talking about it and putting it out there is still a form of promotion, marketing, connecting with your audience. So it's thinking about that big picture of how, kind of going back to how we started the show and me telling you that long story about how Stowe and I got connected. It's the same, like marketing works in the same way. So I might need to hear you talk about your newsletter eight to 11 times before I'm like, cool, here's my email address. But every time I hear you talk about it, it does register something in my brain. And that's true with me listening to your music. That's true for me coming to your show. We need eight to 11 interactions with something before it even resonates in our minds, especially now in this world where everything is so chaotic and we're all overstimulated. Yeah. And so if I'm just starting a newsletter, right? How many items would you recommend like being discussed in, in those early newsletters, especially? Cause I mean, I think there's a tendency of, okay, if I'm going to do this, here's, here's everything about me. Right. And, and that can be overwhelming. It could be too much. Uh, do you have like a sweet spot that you would recommend as far as like, if you're going to talk about two or three things, no more, or, or up to five things, like what, what do you say? You know, I, I don't know that there's a number on it, but allow yourself to say what needs to be said. So, and, and knowing your audience, if you know that your audience is like younger and they're like, go, 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 one or two things is enough. If you know that your audience maybe is older, they like more kind of like long form things, you can, you can write longer. Um, it doesn't have to be like, you can use bullet points, you can use images, you like your newsletter. I think sometimes when we say newsletter, people think of like the newspaper and it has to be like columns and articles. It does not, it, it's yet another platform. You can put videos, you can do a video newsletter, like you can do whatever makes sense for you. I think the important thing is for every newsletter, one, you know, to think about what is it that my audience values? What do they get from me in addition to I make good music? And so making sure that every newsletter has something of value that could be insight, that could be entertainment, that could be find, you know, like discounts and stuff like that. Thinking about what can I give them so that they're receiving value from me. So each newsletter should have something valuable and something that they learn about you. And if those two things are in there and then maybe you end with a call to action or you end with a question, hey, who should I collaborate with? Who are you listening to that should be on my playlist? Um, when was the last time you went to a venue that you really liked? Or what city do you think I should be in next? Right? Part of, again, even if your audience doesn't answer your question, they're learning that you want to hear from them. And so the invitation to feedback trains them to give you feedback when they're ready to do so. So I don't know that there's like a, a number necessarily, but thinking about value and connection are the two biggest things. Yeah. Yeah. And so you have that call to action, right? And hopefully people are responding to you. Uh, you know, a newsletter is a little bit different than doing a post on social media, 
right? Where you see the response, you can hit re- reply and, and type in your response. What's it look like or what should it look like uh, in order to get that interaction happening if people are responding to your newsletter? Um, what would what would you recommend? Because you don't, I, I think you want to make it interesting, right? You want to create value and you want people to invest in what you're doing. And it really is building a relationship with your audience. So um, what kind of tips do you have there as far as like making sure you can help kind of foster that response from uh, the people you're sending your newsletter out to? So one is making it easy for them, right? If I'm like, click on, you know, sign up for my next workshop, I will have a button clearly that people can press so that they don't have to think too much about doing it. or it's about telling, like really spelling out the directions. Most people don't even think that they can reply to a newsletter. So if I'm asking for feedback, I will put in the newsletter, respond to this email and tell me X, Y, and Z. Click reply and talk to me about da, 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 da. Um, and so the, in every email where I do that, I get responses. So then your responsibility now is to make sure that you respond. If I ask you to call me and then you call me and I don't answer the phone, you're going to feel some kind of way, right? Because you're going to be like, dang, Nora told me to call her. Like, and that's the relationship building part is if you're asking your audience to do something and they do it, you have to reward them. You have to tell them, thank you. You have to make them feel seen, understood, valued, appreciated. So they get a personalized response from you in a timely manner. Goes back to what I was saying earlier. Y'all should really, really check your emails. And then, you know, I, I think there's also an expectation that a lot of artists have when they try something. And this isn't just artists, like all of us. When we try something new, we just want to be perfect at it from the beginning. And then if it's not perfect, we're like, well, screw this. I'm never going to do this again. And y'all, that's not how it works. And so allowing yourself to experiment with different things and we can get fancy, like you can like on a platform like MailChimp, you can send, you can split how you send your emails and experiment, see how like this call to action works versus this call to action. Um, But like, that's too fancy and we don't need to worry about that. Just allow yourself like the first nine to 12 months should really be space for experimenting and trying different things. And you see, oh, my audience really liked when I said this, they didn't like this. Um, and allow yourself to use that input that you're getting from them, right? No response is still a response, right? So you that input to inform how you do other things. I'll just say to everyone that's listening from my experience, like I said, we're, we're still building our newsletter. We're still figuring this whole thing out or, or trying to, I don't know if we ever will or not, but the thing that's worked best for, for me is, just keeping it simple. Just keep it simple. And, and, and you'll be amazed how far that'll take you. <laughs> a little bit, I think. So earlier you talked about uh, people grinding, right? And, and feeling like you got to do all this stuff. And you got to tweet every day. And how something like a newsletter can help maybe simplify that, right? And, and make it a little easier. Make it where it's not as stressful. Um, because it's not something that you have to do every single day. What's your feeling on this idea or this culture of I've got to grind in order to make it? Because uh, I feel like you don't have to grind. You just got to, What I mean, it goes back to that old adage, right? You just got to work smarter, I think, right? So what, what's your thoughts there? Yeah, um, 
you know, there's a lot, I can sleep when I'm dead. I can, you know, no, no, no. First of all, create like, okay. I have a lot to say about this. So I'm like, let me formulate these. Nah, we, we want to hear it all. That's, I know that's not the quality of life. Any of, we're not machines. We're not robots. Like none of us became creatives or decided to pursue creativity in a professional way because we want to work, 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 work. So it, it puts us in this place of like disconnect where the life you want to live and the life you feel like you have to live are in opposition to each other. And as independence, and this is like what I do, I spend a lot of time on in, in like my one-on-one -on -one sessions with artists is you get to decide the life, you get to create the life you want to live and what it means for you to be an artist. It doesn't have to look the same for everybody. We don't all need to be Drake. There are working artists, there are artists who are touring and writing music and, you know, selling out like mini shows that you're never going to hear about, but they're popping and doing their thing. And so, you know, a, one, I think is really defining for yourself what success is and what that looks like, because in, then you can include in that the kind of life you want to live. Do you have time for family? Do you have time for relationships? Do you have time for taking your dog to the park? Do you have time for other, you know, versus this like always got to work, always got to work. Two, I think it's actually really counterproductive. Even bodybuilders take rest days because we know that rest is good for the muscles so the muscles grow stronger. And so creativity and inspiration are the same. I get artists who are like, oh, I'm so burnt out. And I'm like, well, when was the last time you took a break? And they're like, oh, I haven't had a day off in six months. So if we remember that art and music and relationships are emotional work, then taking time to rest, taking time to reset, taking time to take care of yourself is as much part of the work as being in the studio or recording a music video or whatever it might be. So I really think that like this, this grind culture is harmful and counterproductive. Um, and so I, and, and I think that it upholds the myth that you are solely responsible for your success. And that's not true. Like their success is luck and chance and like all these other things have so much to do with it. And so um, not to say that you're not responsible for your success, you can do all the things, but there are factors outside of all of our control. And so um, y'all take a break, like your mental health deserves it, your your physical well-being deserves it. Like it's just not good for any of us to not sleep or not eat or not take a break. Well, and I, I think it's fair to also think about like as an independent artist the the listeners that you're connecting with or even someone like yourself that you're very intentional about supporting independent artists we're, we're not necessarily concerned about how much you grind right there, there's there's other aspects that are more important to us um i'm really interested to know like whenever you are checking out maybe a, a new artist like what's the things that stand out for, for you that makes you say, oh, oh, this is awesome. I want to support this person. Oh, I love that question. Um, and, and before I answer that, what you make me think about is like all those other things and grounding, right, are part of what your audience is going to connect with. If you're in school, you're raising a family, you're a caregiver, you're, you know, volunteering, you're organizing, you're an activist. 
those are in addition to making music your audience wants to see that because those are things that they can relate to and there's a little bit of aspirational um there's like a little aspirational quality too where they're like dang i'm doing all these things and i wish i could be living my dream and so that's part of where that emotional connection happens um what do i look for i mean for me the uh the values is really important so as an art like are you uphold one are you putting out like misogynistic harmful content that's a quick pass quick no and you'd be surprised how often like artists are bold about that um but i look for values alignment i look for are you saying something outside of listen to my music buy my music i want to get to know i want to get to know who you are as a person um and if i find uh relatability if i find authenticity those are things that are interesting to me in addition to you know is the music good is the the song catchy all of that kind of stuff but it really is connecting with the artist as a person that that makes me um and especially you know who i i'm thinking about some of the last artists where i'm like ooh the song has been on replay um it's artists who are saying things that i haven't heard before I'm really tired about hearing about how much bullying you have and how like bro like cool but is that really the most relevant pressing thing in today's world and so I don't I'm drawn to things that I haven't heard before or that I haven't seen before um if I'm like oh I've heard this story I've seen this I've heard this song already um I'll just go back to the original so that kind of innovation more and more i want like innovation and creativity i know that you mentioned your socials earlier i want to give you a chance to to share those one more time but also uh, i know you got that like you and stowe do a lot with like twitter spaces where you're live and and it's awesome because you're you're accessible and you can can hear you know whatever it is that you have you know plan to share for that space but uh you also you know make sure you open it up and let people ask questions and, and weigh in do you guys have a like schedule that you try to do Twitter spaces with, or is it kind of random? And I want to make sure people are getting in and hearing what you guys are sharing on there. So our, we have new YouTube episodes every first and third Tuesday of the month. That's like solid. And those are also live. So people can come in, ask us questions, participate. Um, low key y'all. Like if you look at how Stowe and I do office hours, it's a great blueprint for how you could be engaging with your audience. Right, you can all do like there's nothing stopping you as an artist from doing a Twitter spaces. And even if only 3 people show up, those are 3 people who now have a deep relationship with you, right? Have an intimate experience with you that they wouldn't have had otherwise. So, I mean, if you take nothing away from today's conversation, maybe the thing to take away is that quality is way more important than quantity as an at the early stage. Like one happy fan will do so much more for you than like 10 fans. Um so anyways, I got cracked. Twitter spaces. Um are no, I mean we try to do them once a month. The date kind of changes, but if you follow me, you follow Stowe, we we always share and promote that all the time. And then as I said, my DMs are always open. So if you have a question, or tweet it at me and let's have a public conversation so people can learn. If you have that question, I guarantee you 25 other people have that question too. Um so don't be shy about asking. But um yeah, N O R A R A H I M I A N Nora Rahimian at Twitter and Instagram. 
Um, and then, yeah. Yeah. All, all the socials. So I think one thing that kind of gets forgotten sometimes is that for an individual like yourself that's playing, I, I hate to say that it's a behind the scene role, but I mean, that's kind of what it gets labeled. But, um, you know, you guys need support and we need support. Uh, just as much as an, an artist needs support, right? So when we're looking at the rest of 2022, what what do you got coming up that we can be supporting? Wait, time out. Sorry, Eric. I yeah. know you have uh, everything you say. It like it makes me think of more things. Okay. I think it's a really, because it makes me think about your question about grind culture. And there is something in music where we make so much labor invisible. We think that, and and if you're not in the music industry, you don't necessarily see that your favorite artist has a team of like a gazillion people who are doing all this work for them, right? Like go look at Grammy nominated songs and look at how many songwriters are credited. That doesn't even include the people who are not credited, who are part of writing that, right? And then I work with artists all the time who are like, I wrote this myself, I mixed it myself, I engineered it myself, I produced it myself, I recorded it myself, I did my own, like, and so part of, I think like this, this grind culture is this idea that we have to do everything ourselves because the labor of people like me, like you, like artistic designers, like all these other is made invisible. And so this like music really, really, really is a team sport. And the more you, and you know, there's a vulnerability in trusting other people and, oh, I tried it and it didn't work out and they screwed, cool, that's fine. Like get screwed over and then try again because it takes time to find like your team. But it really, really is, um, it really, really is collaborative. And so there's like so much work that does happen behind the scenes that you'll never see, but is just as essential to the success of you being the front facing artist. And so, building those really like reach out to bloggers reach out to podcast hosts reach out to event producers reach out like there's so many people who are part of this ecosystem and the more you can build those relationships respectfully and intentionally and like from a you know give and take perspective then you don't have to do it by yourself the same way like overnight success is a myth the idea that like i got here by myself no no one got here by you like no um and it, again, it's counterproductive. So yeah, you're right. Like so many of us are behind the scenes and people are like, oh, it's what, you know, they like kind of maybe dismiss or like minimize the value. And this isn't to like hype up our own work. Um, but I think it's part of the way we make labor invisible and make people think they have to do it on their own. No, you're fine. No, no. I forgot I, your question. <laughs> I, no, I just said, um, you know, looking ahead for the, the rest of 2022, what do you have coming up that we can make sure that we can support you in that process um so i'm taking some time off speaking of like you know balance and stuff i'm taking some time off um but towards the end of the year i'll have a negotiation workshop for creative artists that's coming up and i'll have a networking workshop uh especially focusing on networking and virtual spaces and then i'm always open to new clients so if you want a one-on-one um and again just slide in my dms um, and we'll figure something out. If you want to curate a collaborative project, you know, we can always also get really creative together. Um, and so if you're not, sh- listen, honestly, if you're like, yo, Nora seems cool and I want to work with her, just DM me. 
and like let's brainstorm some ideas i think i try to be real i like people i'm friendly um and so i try to be really accessible in that sense and so um consider this an invitation for us to like brainstorm and and see what we can co-create if that sparks you awesome awesome nora i appreciate you coming on here uh, it's been awesome you've had so many you know just gems you know I'll, I'll use that that term man i, I want to definitely op- you know throw out an open invitation to you to come back anytime that you feel like it i'm sure there's plenty more we could talk about in the future as well so but I, i've loved it and i hope the listeners have as well thanks for having me this was fun yeah yeah no i loved it i loved it so again guys make sure you go subscribe to the youtube channel so you can tap into those lives follow on social medias i you guys know i'm just kind of on twitter and that's about it because i'm i guess i'm old and that's just how i am but uh i know it's a great twitter follow so be on there as well um and thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the 520 collective podcast again we want to shout out our sponsor uh the bookkeeper 24 7 check them out tbk247.com as well as the rest of our episode sponsors and we will catch you guys on the next episode